Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov, who happens to be in California this week. How is it on the West Coast? Oh, it's great. I'm actually down here in Silicon Valley. We just did a panel earlier today talking about cybersecurity. And, and one thing I love about Silicon Valley is how technical and how just getting folks together, you get some great ideas and people always forget about that. Uh, but I'm actually more excited about today's guest because it gives us a unique perspective yes. that we have that we we sometimes in cyber forget about. In, in cyber, we always think about the bits, the bytes. We think about the new shiny objects, the new tools, but we don't ever take it from a large, larger view of why or something else. And today's guest is going to give us a really a legal perspective on the yes. cyber side. And I'm excited to get that perspective and just, you know, we, we, we always get stuck on the you know, the cloud, the bits, the bytes, and where I'm storing stuff. And we, we forget about everything else around privacy, around democracy, and, you know, why we have encryption and what the benefits are. So do you want to introduce our guest, Rachel? Absolutely. So please welcome to the podcast, Mishi Chattery. She is Senior Vice President and General Counsel at Virtue. Welcome, Mishi. This is going to be so Thank much fun. Thank you. Nerd alert. <laughs> As if you didn't have enough jargon. You wanted to add the legal one also. I love it. Now, I mean, you have such a wonderful history um, in your profession as a lawyer, particularly being in the technology sector so long. And I, I would love to kind of just as a jumping off point, right, because so many people forget about, you know, legal should be at the forefront when we start talking development and technology development. Um, and you were at this wonderful organization, the Software Freedom Law Center, uh, for about 17 years. And um, you kind of were on the, I guess, in the trenches, right, of, of where the intersection of like law li lawyers and, and, the, and the legal element and, and software de development were happening, right? Yeah, it was um, um, when open source was not as sexy in the early aughts. And um, I uh, wanted to add, as I said, more jargon, which I did not understand about technology and to work with people who uh, hated lawyers and didn't want to pick up ever their phones and lived in court. And I'm like, yeah, I should do open source here. That's fine. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I did that to being on the ground floor. And as we were talking earlier, uh, once greed and capitalism joined, I think the open source revolution caught speed. And here we are, hot, sexy, Everywhere, <laughs> omnipresent. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And um, and so now you're at Virtue, so you've kind of you know you've moved over. Um, but you know, are you are you seeing as you get kind of deeper in the industry, you know, kind of where in the chain are the challenges, right? Still for legal. I mean, are are you having to like are you are you got a seat at the table? Or are you fighting for a seat at the table? Or are you allowed to even talk about that? I, I didn't even ask if I could ask that. <laughs> 
Well, everything privileged and confidential. Nobody can summon anything in discovery yeah. here. So, but uh, um, but now we're, the the interesting thing about virtual, having spent all this time with developers, but also doing a lot of policy work around the world, including the U.S., Europe, and I was born in India and India as well. Um, I think uh, what I understood was there's so many important stakeholders especially the users yes. who don't get as much of a voice because the fat cats can always make uh, deals by, and uh, call civil society and everybody else for the pictures at 4 p.m. before cocktails. Um, and I was like, huh, uh, policy and law will happen gradually and slowly, but I also want to be uh, at a place which is making these products possible so that people can have the tools to create privacy before uh, politicians figure it out what kind of rights we need. So <clears throat> I do get a seat at the table. <laughs> I do get to speak my mind. And the good part is that uh, the mission is very much aligned about uh, creating products which can give control to the user. So um, that's yeah. the fun part. Misha, can we step back? You said something, you know, when you think policy, like, what excites you about that? Because because I think as a cyber technical technocrat, you kind of get you hear a policy you're like I don't want to touch that. But like, <laughs> why is it so important? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Um, I, I wish that they actually made stand up comedy shows and other such fun stuff to explain all that complicated jargon. But then we would have let all the people in, and the secret would be out, and we wouldn't look as smart. So, but, but everything touches our life in terms of policy. Um, why I, I, I think what, what was important to me personally is that with one stroke of a pen or what is decided in terms of uh, legislation or policy can impact the lives of swaths of people, not only in our country, but around the globe. Because all of this is so deeply connected now that every country watches what the other one is doing. And with tech, um, things are so much closer and closely intertwined. So uh, to me, it is that, oh, I would like at least to understand it in a way that I can explain it to my parents and also my nieces and nephews. That also tells you a little bit about the kind of uh, simplicity we require in these conversations. And I am, as I said, a nerd who also wanted to really get down into the weeds to figure it out, to make possible that rights conversation, what individuals want, that gets talked about. And uh, people all around the world want to use good tools, but they don't have time to worry about um, their rights, their data collection, and all those things until some problem happens. So that, to me, is uh, very important to make it possible. Uh, and I feel it is a responsibility of all of us who do understand it to ensure that we can uh, have those conversations about rights, about individuals, about balancing while the rest um, of the society is just living their lives. So um, I love that. that's why I, 
I, I do what I do. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's, sorry, do you want to, did you want to talk? I, I had a question too, Pe- Pekka. We're going to be fighting no, ahead. Each other I, I, to talk to you today, Mishi. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I love what you're saying too. And it, you know, and it, and it kind of gets into a, I guess, a nice segue. You know, we talk about, you know, privacy policies, regulations, and it's, it's such a hot topic. And, you know, when you think of something like GDPR, right, when it came online and there was so much kind of confusion and, you know, what does it mean? Do I really have to, you know, kind of fall in line or can I just roll the dice and see if something happens eventually? And then you start seeing that trickle over here and it does, it becomes much more complicated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm fascinated from the, the legal perspective, right? I mean, even trying to, to navigate that, you know, if you're a small business trying to navigate any of this, I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Uh, I, it just seems it, it's so confusing if you're doing business with EU customers, but you also have, you know, business in the United States and there's like CCPA, mm-hmm. GDPR, and all these other states going online with different, you know, policies and regulations related to privacy. How do you even operate a business? <laughs> so. Well, uh, <clears throat> I think hard things are hard, so I don't have simple answers, but I do think that over a period of time, we have developed certain ways to address these issues. And the beauty of capitalism is that there are other businesses to help you figure out how these questions work out. (laughs) But uh, but to the fundamental point, uh, despite the jargon, which whether it is GDPR or the CCPA, um, my interest mostly is in the principles of why these things are important. And that is mostly uh, to keep people at the center of it all. And that's why I like to think about um, whether it is data protection or digital services or CCPA, um, my motivation always is, can I think about it, uh, putting people at the center? Is it really protecting people without having them to jump through various hoops or not? And um, if they want certain, ooh, see? <laughs> I get uh, I get agreements from all sides now. <laughs> that, that was Rachel's dog in the background and, you know, agreeing with me, she... I, I gotta, you know, when you think of people, I, I start thinking there's got, you know, about privacy is where my mind automatically goes to when you start thinking legal and people is, is there some, I mean, how does the approach, I guess, I imagine privacy kind of differs throughout the world. We have mm-hmm. GDPR. We kind of talked about that. Like, is there some type of, is there anything in privacy that's kind of influenced your thinking here that's in your day-to-day work that's important? Um, yeah, and to, uh, I think that's a very important point about what you say about how people all around the world think about privacy um, and what it means and the limitations are a little different everywhere one goes. Um, obviously, the legal systems are different, but mostly people all around the world do believe, if nothing else, in their ability to have that freedom of thought. I in my own head, should be allowed to think whatever I want, sometimes comfortable, sometimes uncomfortable, but to learn from my own thoughts. Um, imagine how different our world would be if all the books uh, for the half, of last half millennium had reported their readers to the headquarters, including informing the king or the pope or anyone how many seconds each reader spent on each book, what book one read, what did that do, etc., which now happens, 
that uh, because it is being replaced by an appliance that tracks your reading for the bookseller, subject to whatever the king's subpoena is. And but if we believe in that liberty, that absolute freedom that I can be left alone in my head to think about things, to formulate opinions, to come up with something, how to live my life. That's how only I think about privacy, which helps me think about it all around the world. Once you go to Europe, because of the experiences they've had during the wars, uh, during the various crises, um, obviously they're much more sensitive about data being collected. In the United States, we've had a much more robust First Amendment tradition about how privacy and free speech collide with each other. But here also, the expectation of a lot of people is that, what do you mean I don't have protection? What do you mean I don't have privacy? For example, when we talk about health data and uh, with the recent change in the Supreme Court judgments, I think everybody just assume, and we have HIPAA, so it protects us all the time. But and of course, that's not true in that sense. But mostly everywhere what I have seen is people just don't want state or private interference or a middleman between um, them and whoever they are interacting with. They like the conveniences the technology offers and they would like the benefits of it, but they don't want, whether it is Mr. Zuckerberg or it is their government, anyone coming in between what their usage of technology is and what benefits they derive. And I also feel that where either government or uh, companies read every face, uh, dissent is under permanent intimidation. And that's why um, all of us become much more sensitive when we are watched, or even if somebody tells us we are watched. And that ability to be able to do certain things in the privacy of one's own head, that is very visceral to all of us human beings. And uh, that really guides me as the global North Star, uh, no matter where I am. I th I th you know, you mentioned freedom of speech, and I always, I think that sometimes there are, at least folks I speak to, I always think freedom of speech is different than, you know, freedom from being accountable for my actions. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of, <laughs> yeah, because I can say whatever I want. Yeah. But saying that, are you sure you want to say that on TV, you know, have a million people hear it, you know, it, it's, or doing what you think you're doing might cause other actions mm -hmm. that you didn't factor in. But yet I think you, you, the way you phrase that, you know, freedom of thought is really what we're talking about or freedom of speech to think my thoughts and share them. Um, but freedom of, freedom of action is a, is a different term, but we tend to always mm -hmm. put it into freedom of speech. I can do what I want. And I like how you phrase it as it's in my own thoughts. It's just interesting because I think the, in other countries, you know, you're being monitored 24 mm seven, -hmm. you know, the nation has the ability to delete things from certain chat, chat apps and things like that if they don't like it or block it. So it, I know technology has had a lot of benefits, um, at least in terms of technology pushing us, giving us better insights and better data. You know, when I go, you know, I'm using Google Maps to go to my nearest place. That technology is helping me, but they're, I'm being monitored at the same time. Yeah. Like I, st I struggle with, should I care if I'm getting benefit out of it? Mm -hmm. So I, I guess my question That's is if I'm being question. monitored, yeah. uh, like why is an individual, should I care if I'm being watched? 
buy Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook or something else. Like what? And especially if you're impa- not doing something nefarious, right? You're just in the course of your day to day life. I think it's what you mean, right? <laughs> yeah, correct. I, I, you're more eloquent about it. Why, was, why should I have something to worry about if I'm just living my life? <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing something stupid. I'm just using technology to help me solve a problem. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a, a great point, and um, I don't like to dismiss it. A lot of times, it's presented as I'm not doing anything wrong. Why should I bother? I think um, the they can be clever quips to that answer, but that doesn't appreciate the uh, complexity of it. My uh, a lot of times, um, like someone said about if you give me six lines of uh, the best person, the most honest person ever who has ever been on this earth, give me six lines written by them and I will find something to hang them from those six lines. It's it's about interpretations. It's about um, collective usage of that, that data. It's also about, I am not only collecting data about one interaction, but then I'm letting it talk to various other databases. And based on whatever I would like to infer, then perhaps decide how I want to treat you today as a person. Um, so why it gets complicated is also because in Western democracies, we are in the U.S., we, they, we rely on the judicial system. We think robust institutions will actually take care of a lot of things. There's a rule of law. That may not always be true because certain governments can always slip and one has to think about in many other parts of the world where we have already seen what is legal today may not be legal tomorrow because the regime changed. Uh, What is um, uh, acceptable in the society uh, morally or uh, traditionally or in terms of um, uh, the zeitgeist itself uh, may not actually be acceptable tomorrow. Um, We see homosexuality, how that seems just natural to us. It's just a choice about whoever wants to live their life the way they want to. And uh, love is love. That's not obviously the case in several parts of the world. And uh, a young person trying to use the Internet, a search engine or something else to just explore what is it that they are feeling? Why Why does it seem different from what the majority of their society is talking Now, data collected about that person used in a certain other way does have a lot of impact about their actual safety and about their life. And uh, it is also about what is is it that we want to say these days. Um, Social media, which rewards um, outrage over deliberation, um, quick reaction, whatever will get engagement, and does not allow for a lot of deeper discussions, uh, obviously will also pick up things selectively, and then that can be used against many people. Sometimes people are just learning. If I think about undergraduate studies or law school or business school, and I'm like, wow, you were the dumbest person I've ever seen or known, actually. What were you thinking? Did you not ever read a book? Did you not pay attention? I didn't pay attention all the time, obviously. Um, I read many books, but maybe not the right ones all the time. But sometimes I wanted to read the wrong books. Um, I did a campaign long ago to say I read banned books. uh, And we made a list of banned books all around the world. 
um, and especially in different countries about just to see why people ban certain things. Yeah. So, and it's an interesting thing which gives you an insight about why people in general want to do things to grow. Uh, university is a place where we were allowed to have those exchange of ideas. But uh, because internet never forgets, so I should be punished about something which I thought wrongly, perhaps, um, 20 years ago. And that is where I feel that we take that freedom to grow and liberty of thought and etc. all of those things. Um, also, um, I do feel that um, uh, I love capitalism, obviously. Um, greed does help revolutions, both uh, on all sides. <laughs> so uh, I, I do think, um, but there has to be some understanding of where the guardrails are. Advertising cannot actually justify any kind of business, uh, any kind of business motivation. So that's why um, I think why people should care is not to say stop using every tool that is available, but demand that tool to give you the convenience, but not take away your rights, which in future might come to bite you in some other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it sounds like it's really about you get to you need to be able to choose what you put out there that's public versus non-public. You need to ch- you have the option to if I, I'm talking to my spouse, I should be able to text them in private and not have it appear publicly anywhere or have it used for data mining somehow. Right. That should be truly oh, private. So it, it's interesting that it's about control. Really, it sounds like it's about control of your privacy, and without that. You know, if we don't have privacy, we don't have democracy, realistically, because you, if you're voting, for example, your vote should be secret. You know, you need to validate that I'm, I can vote, but you knowing exactly how I voted should be secret because I could be targeted, mm-hmm. hypothetically. So I like how it's really about democracy and privacy linking together. Uh, you know, one, one thing I, I'm, I know there's various solutions out there like Apple and Google that do this or on chat and there's other there's apps like Signal that are used for intent encryption. I think all of them strengthen user privacy and it ends up protecting a lot of the user data. But how do you think some of that type of encryption impacts companies and, and third parties that do do type of da- do any type of data collection, even law enforcement, where there is more encryption happening now end to end, you know, being deployed for regular users? Is it impacting law enforcement? Is it impacting data aggregators? I mean, again, I am that really, really bad kind of lawyer who always says, it depends, give me more facts or pay my hourly so that I can actually give you a good answer. Like, really? You want that answer and you're not going to pay me for that? Hilarious. And I hate to break it to you folks, but we're going to make it a two-part episode with Mishi. What a great cliffhanger right here, folks, though, right? I can't wait until you come back next week for part two. So until then, be safe, don't click strange links, and don't forget to smash that subscription button. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.